0: Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, aka Triumvir Clio. Hello again. Welcome back. I hope you're well. Today we really and truly will start Seneca's tragedies. Up first is Agamemnon. As noted in the introductory episode, we don't know a lot about when Seneca wrote his plays. One of my sources suggests this is one of his earlier plays, another source dates it to around 55 CE, so you can take that as you will, um, but probably best with a grain of salt. Both are guesses, educated guesses, but guesses nonetheless. I'm using the Ella Isabel Harris translation for this play. She lived and worked around the turn of the last century, so her translations are available online, or you can do like I did and buy a fairly cheap copy. The play should sound familiar to you if you've been listening since Episode 1. Seneca's primary source was none other than Aeschylus, so this is a play that we're familiar with. The cast consists of the expected players. Agamemnon, Aegisthus, Orestes, Pilates, Clytemnestra, Electra, and Cassandra. We also have Eurybates, Agamemnon's messenger, Strophius, the king of Phocis, and Thyestes, the ghost of Agamemnon's uncle. On the unnamed end, we have Clytemnestra's nurse and two choruses, one of Trojan women and one of Argive women. The play is set outside the palace at Mycenae, and it's going to follow the path you might expect. So the question will be how Seneca's philosophy might change what he chooses to highlight. So Let's take a short break before looking at the plot of this version of the story. The Ghost of Thyestes opens the play. In a lengthy monologue, he gives the backstory of the curse on Agamemnon's house. And then, in case you're worried about what might happen in the play, he comes right out and says that Aegisthus is lying in wait to kill Agamemnon, who is just now returned from the Trojan War. Having provided us with this prologue, he exits, never to be seen again. The chorus of Argive women enter. They sing a happy song about how Agamemnon won the war and now is coming home. Clyde Manestra and her nurse enter. In a scene that is reminiscent of Lady Macbeth, except for the fact that she appears to be playing both of the leading roles, Clyde menestra steals herself for what's to come. She screws her courage to the sticking place, if you will. She explains to her nurse the reasons that she and Aegisthus must kill Agamemnon, retelling the sacrifice of Iphigenia that we've already covered in the previous place that center on this larger myth. Aegisthus enters, and the reasons for the pending murder grow. There's Agamemnon's infidelities and the fact that he's brought a mistress back from Troy, a princess no less, and that is just too much status for a mistress to have. Plus, Aegisthus and Clytemnestra are having an affair of their own. Having come to terms with her feelings, Clytemnestra leads Agisthus off to solidify their plot. The chorus of Argive women sing another song, praising the gods for Agamemnon's victory in war. Eurybates and Clytemnestra enter. He tells her all about how Agamemnon is on his way home. She asks after her sister, and Eurybates responds that Helen and Menelaus were blown off course. He then hesitates to go on, but Clytemnestra urges him to do so. So he does. For pages. He tells all about the fall of Troy and how the Greek fleet fared on its way home, which is to say, not very well. Clytemnestra isn't sure how to take this news. She opts to put on a happy face and tells the Argive women to dress for a feast and prepare for a sacrifice to Apollo. The chorus of Trojan women and Cassandra enter. They sing a dirge about the fall of Troy and in mourning of their capture. Cassandra urges the chorus to stop crying. While she too mourns for Troy, she can see what's coming next, and she knows that Agamemnon is going to get his just desserts. Agamemnon finally enters. He is thrilled to be home and asks Cassandra why she isn't. The man is dense. She also cryptically tells him that she is sure she'll see her father again, since clearly she's crazy, Agamemnon tells the chorus to restrain her until she's back in her right mind again. He exits to go sacrifice to the gods. The Argive women sing yet another prayer about how Troy has fallen. Cassandra then gets a lovely, lengthy monologue in which she simultaneously mourns the fall of Troy and rejoices in the upcoming fall of Agamemnon, describing in... Great detail how he'll be murdered, or more specifically, how he is in the process of being murdered off stage. Electra runs on stage leading Orestes. She names him the avenger of their father's murder. Strophius and Pilates enter. Strophius announces himself in a manner that would rival Lancelot's Semois in Camelot. Electra is thrilled to see him and entrusts her little brother to him. Strophius, Pilates, and Orestes exit. Electra is relieved and then joins Cassandra to wait for what comes next. Which they they don't have to wait long. It's a really short scene. Agisthus and Clytemnestra enter. Clytemnestra accuses Electra of behavior unsuitable for a Greek princess. Then she asks where Orestes is. Electra refuses to tell. Agisthus suggests they lock Electra up. Electra. Begs for death instead, but Agisthus says that letting her live will be a better punishment. Electra is dragged away to her prison. Cassandra, on the other hand, will be executed. But she refuses to be dragged away. Instead, she exits with her head high, getting the last word in, Like rage shall fall on thee. And that is the end of the play. we've now covered our first Stoic tragedy. Yay! (laughs) Seneca does have his own take on this myth. Part of that may be because he is a much later writer than the other treatments we've seen. The whole story of the destruction of the Greek fleet doesn't appear in any literature until well after the Greek tragedies were written. And one big thing we see in this version is that the characters are much more complex than in the earlier plays. And this is where we see Seneca's philosophy come into play. Stoicism is all about human passions, about how we act on our emotions. It's not about not having emotions. It's about, I I hate to use the word stoically, but it is about facing our emotions stoically so recognizing I feel sad I feel angry I feel happy but not not letting your emotions control you it's about controlling the emotion as opposed to the emotion being in control and this play shows us a variety of ways we can act on our emotions whether it's acting in control or letting them be in control Clytemnestra has many reasons for killing her husband and we see her struggle with that decision, which is good. That's very stoic to look at this and is she making the right choice? But, you know, she still makes the choice to go ahead with the murder, so you can debate whether or not she made the right decision there. Electra is very strong in her decision to protect Orestes. There we go. That's good. But her exit is anything but stoic. She's being taken away to a uh, fate that she does not want and has no control over and she lets her emotions get the better of her. But then there's Cassandra. So if anything, she is our stoic character. She chooses not to mourn by weeping and wailing. Now this is not because she doesn't have the same feelings. She clearly states that she misses her family and that she misses her country and her home but she is choosing to respond to her feelings in a different manner than the chorus but i am not sure that comparing her behavior to the trojan chorus is really fair after all cassandra alone knows that agamemnon is going to be murdered well okay i suppose i suppose agisthus and Clytemnestra know that too but they don't count they're not trojans Of the Trojans. Only Cassandra knows this. Uh, Cassandra also knows that she is going to be murdered. So she also knows that she's not going to have to mourn much longer. She can see her own death. She can see the end of the game. The chorus can't. And I think stoicism is probably a whole lot easier if you've already read the last chapter of the book. Now, despite the title, it's hardly worth it to even mention Agamemnon. He gets a whopping 26 lines out of this entire play. So this play really, I think, belongs to the women who inhabit it. And I'm not sure what that says. Does this mean women are more emotional? Is it easier to present emotion and stoicism through women because women are the emotional sex? Right? I don't. I don't know if that's on purpose or just because of the nature of the story that um, is being told here. So what do you think? Which version of this myth or any of its characters is your favorite? Pop over to the blog and share. It's at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL is in the show notes. You can also find me on Patreon to get early access to episodes. If you desire, that URL is in the show notes too. In the next episode, we'll cover book four of the Aeneid.